Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070, 646-727-3070. You can look, listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Arizona Cardinals tight end Daniel Fells. Excuse me, Darren Fells, the brother of Daniel Fells. But Darren Fells will be joining us. And he's going to talk about his transition from basketball to football. He played basketball overseas, but now... He wants to give football a try, and he played football in high school and was highly recruited coming out of high school to play football. But ultimately he chose basketball, ultimately he decided to play basketball overseas, but now he's deciding that he wants to play in the National Football League. So we're going to talk to Darren about his transition from basketball to football. Also, former NFL running back Veron Haynes will be joining us. We're going to talk to Veron about some of the things going on in terms of Richie and Con, you know, Jonathan Martin, as Ted Wells released his report yesterday. Also, get his take on Michael Sam, who came out last last Sunday, as and probably will be one of the first, will be the first openly gay player in National Football League history. So we're going to talk to Veron Haynes and give his take on the locker room and 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 how that will change with Michael Sam coming into the locker room and now how it will change with the whole situation with Jonathan Martin. And Richie Incognito. I'm going to start right there with Jonathan Martin and Richie Incognito. It came out yesterday in a report by Ted Wells that, in fact, yes, in fact, Jonathan Martin was bullied by Richie Incognito, but also Mike Pouncey and John Jerry. And you look at this whole story and this whole situation, at one point you initially thought, your thoughts were, okay, wow, this guy, Richie Incognito, is a racist and is not a very good human being. Then you went from, okay, this is kind of business as usual in a locker room. It's just that Jonathan Martin could not handle what was going on. And then you get the text messages come out, and then at one point you favor Martin. Then you go back to Incognito. And this report comes out, and, and I, to me this report – doesn't really do anything to change my mind. And I don't see anything that's like, I mean, obviously, Richie Incognito is a guy with some issues. He's had issues at Nebraska. He's had issues with the Rams. He's had issues every stop he's been to in the National Football League. He's had issues. The guy has issues. Um, So he's obviously no angel here. But I, I look at this situation, though Jonathan Martin is a guy who had some struggles in high school, in middle school, with depression, and, and mainly that stemmed from some bullying that was done to him in 
high school and in, in, in middle school. So this is a guy that had a level of sensitivity when it comes to bullying. Now, I, I look at that and I say, okay, you know, in a lot of ways you look at bullies and bullies know who to bully. They, they know who to go after. And a lot of ways they went after the right guy, but essentially they went after the wrong guy. Because, you know, you, there, there are guys out here you can bully and get away with bullying, but in a lot of ways they, they, they'll eventually just, they'll just take it and they'll deal with it and live with it. And then Jonathan Martin did take it and deal with it and live with it. But ultimately he broke. Some people don't break. Jonathan Martin broke. And ultimately he ran away from the team, and ultimately that shed light on everything that happened here in that Dolphins locker room. So essentially, they found the right guy to bully in Jonathan Martin, but they found the wrong guy to bully in Jonathan Martin because ultimately it ended up biting them in the butt. It ended up now, you know, Richie Incognito, what happens to him? Does he get another opportunity in this league? Does he get another chance in this league? Um, I think he will. But he might have to wait. It might be a situation where he waits a year. But I, I think he gets another chance. Jonathan Martin, does he get another chance? I think he will, and I think it could come this season. But here's the thing. You, you look at this story, and I hear a lot of ex-players say, this could have been handled in the locker room. This could have been handled in the locker room. And because it wasn't handled in the locker room, it turns out now everybody's in trouble. Everybody is, 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 is messed up here. You know, you got a coach who's messed up, Turner. You have the offensive line coach. So you, you have a lot of guys who now are messed up and may have a hard time finding a job in this league because of what happened here because of what transpired here now i look at jonathan martin now and he he is a guy who had contemplated suicide um he is a guy right now who you have to look at with a level of, of emotional instability on some level because of his past in terms of the depression high school middle school and what have you so you got to look at a guy right now with with who some may believe is a little emotionally unstable. Now, I see here with Jonathan Martin, I mean, a lot of the stuff that went on in here was, was stuff that, you know, me personally, I like to think of myself as a guy who can take a lot of things and listen to a lot of things and hear a lot of things. That's stuff that I could handle. And, but at the same time, doesn't mean other people can handle what I can handle, so it's not necessarily fair for me to, to, to judge me by everybody else. And I look at this whole situation, and I look at one of the basic truths of life. In a lot of ways, you determine how people treat you. you, you, you if, if, if talking about your sister and your mother and calling you the N-word bothers you, you need to say it. I mean, you determine how you are treated by people in society. You determine that. No one else but you. And I look at that, 
And, and, and I say, you know what, here with Jonathan Martin, I don't want to call him weak because I don't think that's fair. But, I, I mean, you look at this situation, Jared, John Jerry, Marquise Pouncey, and uh, Richie Incognito, three-fifths of the offensive line. So if three-fifths of the offensive line are coming at you and, and, and bullying you and, and saying various things to you, especially you as a rookie or, or a young player in this league, it, it could be difficult, and you may not know what to do in terms of how to deal with that and in terms of how to handle that situation, which in a lot of ways is understandable. But it seemed like, you know, Martin and, and Incognito struck up this abusive type of friendship. It was almost like these two, you know, they loved each other, but they hated each other. And Martin always talked about, you know, the good Richie and, and the bad Richie. The good Richie Incognito and the bad Richie Incognito. And more often than not, what Martin would say, you know, when it was just one-on-one, them two, Richie was a cool guy. And he learned a lot from Richie Incognito in terms of what to do on the field. But when it was around a bunch of guys, Richie Incognito became a different guy. He became bad Richie. And so, and Martin obviously didn't know how to handle this situation. And it's, and it's difficult to use the word bullying, I think, when, when we're as adults. I almost want to say harassment and not necessarily bullying. I mean, because I don't know how you can be, I can see how you can be harassed, but I don't know how, if you can be bullied as an adult. I, I, I wish to say harassment. And, but a lot of this stuff was, was, was juvenile type of, you know, things. And, you know, your mom and, you know, I had your sister and, you know, things of that nature. I mean, those are the type of things you hear in high school. I mean, those are high school-related things, and Jonathan Martin admitted, you know, I wasn't quick on my feet in terms of being able to respond to those type of things, and that happens to people. Some people aren't quick on their feet in terms of their response to certain things. They're not. So more often than not, they just grin and bear it, and they just take it and move on with their lives. And Martin did that, but he just couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore. It just became too much. It became a burden for him. But I, I think, and but overall, overall, my thing is this. My thing is this, and you know, Richie Incognito, he, you know, in this report, it talks about how Incognito, Martin, and, and John Jerry, they directed racial slurs at uh, their Japanese trainer, assistant trainer. So you know, these guys were 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 a bunch of. I don't, I, bullies are big kids in a lot of ways because, again, a lot of stuff that you hear are, are high school-related type of things. These are high school-related type of things, you know. These, these, these are high school-related, you know. And the thing about it is when, 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 when you have a coach that's kind of involved in the bullying on some level with the offensive line coach, Jim Turner, when you have him involved in it on some level, it becomes difficult, I think, from Jonathan Martin's standpoint to deal with it and ultimately to, to figure out how to handle it. That becomes difficult. That definitely becomes difficult. Here, here's a text message, Jonathan Martin, talking about some of the things that he was dealing with. And, again, he suffered another bout of depression following the 2012 season and also – he sent a text message to his mother 
in January of 2013, quote, I have really severe depression. There are many instances where I can't get out of bed. I'm really embarrassed to talk about it with anyone in person. I tried to with you when I was home, but I couldn't do it. I've always managed to keep it under control for the most part on my own. Anyways, I really do want to take care of it because it is debilitating and keeps me from reaching my potential in all facets of life. And those were the texts. That was a text from John Tamar. He went on to say in a text, another text, this past year I spent more and more time by myself. As I, as I felt increasingly different from people, I thought college would be a good chance to grow and mature as a person, but I still find myself lost. Sometimes I, sometimes I very badly want to quit football, as I feel like it has forced me to act a certain way, to hang out with certain people, and prevented me from fully taking advantage of the social and cerebral advantages of college and experiencing new things and meeting new people. But it is the one thing that has kept me from going, from kept me going giving me focus. One day I want to disappear, travel the world, and hopefully find myself, because as of today, I don't know who I am. I am deeply troubled, and I have been lying to myself, saying eventually I get over it. I won't. Uh, quote, he, he went on to say, I always wonder why I've had these feelings. I am unbelievably blessed. I am living a dream I've had my entire life, that most people would, would, eat, would die even for the opportunity to be where I am. I have an amazing family. I had a great upbringing. Why do I always feel this way? I really am getting increasingly tempted just to get in my car and leave Miami, live by myself for a month or a year or two off the grid. But sometimes, but something holds me back every time because part of me still loves football. But I'm losing touch with that part more and more every day. Those are the words of Jonathan Martin. And you, you, you listen to that, and does that stem from his own emotional instability, or, or is it because of incognito and because of John Jerry, because of Marquise, Mark, uh, Maurice Pouncey? Is it because of those guys? I mean, what is causing the emotional instability? Because in the report, in the report, the report did conclude that Incognito, Pouncey, and John Jerry did lead to Martin's decision to leave the team and also contributed to his mental health and suicidal thoughts. But look, listen, here's the thing. Even if that is the case, one thing that was in the report that stuck out to me, may, may not stick out to you, but stuck out to me, was that you know these guys did not purposely do this to, to, to make him – have to make him depressed and ultimately to have to to make him um, have suicide, suicidal thoughts. These guys didn't do that. That wasn't their purpose. That wasn't their intent. And I want, when I look at that, I, I see you know it wasn't their intent to to hurt this guy emotionally, to to make him have depressive, make him feel de depressed, and make him have suicidal thoughts. That that wasn't. Their intent, their intent, in a lot of ways, I mean, I, I guess, you know, these guys, their intent, I guess it could be they found a weak person and, and they took advantage of it. They, they found a person who was weak and they took advantage of it. But their intent, according to 
Investigator Wells was not to to make Jonathan Martin depressed or was not to make him have suicidal thoughts. But a lot of times, in a lot of ways, you, you look at most people in this world. You know, they, they don't intend for a lot of things to happen. But through certain actions, sometimes while you don't intend it for intend for, for the, the end result to be what it may be, sometimes it happens that way. It was not your intentions to make the end result this or that. But guess what? Because of your actions, the end result was this or was that. And to me, that's telling from the standpoint, okay, these guys aren't animals. I mean, these guys, obviously these guys made a mistake. And, you know, at the end of the day, this report is not the end all and the be all. But I, I think in a lot of ways, John, was Jonathan Martin, I, I mean, it, to me, bullying is so, I, I can't say the word, I, I said it before, I can't, I'll say it again, I can't say the word and use the word bullying when it comes to adults. I guess I could use the word harassment, and I guess there was a level of harassment here in this in this situation. There was a level of harassment. And Richie Incognito probably does need help. He probably does need a lot of help. And, you know, he's never denied that. He never ran away from that. And, um, you know, whether... Who's to say this would not have happened if these guys... Who's to say this would not have happened anyway? Let's just say these guys were good to Jonathan Martin. Who's to say this would not have happened because this is a guy who's had some issues with depression in the past? Who's to say it would not have happened? And I, and I think that's a logical conclusion. You can't really say definitively that this would not have happened because Jonathan Martin did have some struggles. Ultimately, they did bring in Bryant McKinney, and Martin really wasn't too happy about that. He was moved to the right side. But he did have some struggles on the field. So who's to say this would not have happened if these guys really – even if these guys were doing what they were doing – Who's to say this would not have happened? Who's to say Martin would not have eventually ran away from the team anyway? Who's to say? Who's to say? But I will say this. At the end of the day, I believe Richie Incognito does get another shot. It may not happen this year, but I do believe he gets another shot. Um, I do believe that ultimately, I do believe ultimately Jonathan Martin will get another shot in this league. But I do believe that Richie Incognito, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, because of the way things were handled by Jonathan Martin, I do believe Richie Incognito has gotten more respect in the locker room, is getting more respect in NFL circles than Jonathan Martin because of the way Jonathan Martin handled it. And I still do, and I know Jonathan Martin felt like he couldn't do, he had nothing else to do but to walk away from the situation. I still do believe the way he handled the situation was wrong. You can't just walk away from your job. You can't do it. No matter what, what's going on in the situation, the adult thing to do is to eventually tell somebody. And I know it may not uh, uh, play well in NFL circles, you going to the coach and telling him what's going on. It may, play, it may not play well. It may not play well in NFL circles. But I, 
at the end of the day, the way you handled the situation was wrong. You can't just run away from a situation. You can't. You can't. You can't do it. And let's look at, here's an exchange from uh, Richie Incognito and Maurice Pouncey talking about the situation with Jonathan Martin. Incognito, quote, F.J. Martin. That expletive is never allowed back. Pouncey, bro, I said the same thing. I can't even look at him the same. He's a bleep. My agent just asked me if we held mandatory strip club meetings. J. Mart is a bleeping, is bleeping ratting on everyone. That was Richie Incognito. Pouncey, la, laugh out loud. Wow, are you serious? He is a bleep boy. Pouncey again, he's not welcome back, bro. I can't be around that bleeping guy. Incognito, bleep that guy. If you're not with us, you're against us. Pouncey, no question, bro. He's a coward for snitching. Incognito, snitches get stitches, blood in, blood out, effing guy. Pouncey, he's dead to me. And that was an exchange between Incognito and Mike Pouncey. And so, obviously, obviously, those guys... Don't think too highly of him. And and I heard I heard player I heard another uh, I heard this story where um, I don't remember who reported this, but one player uh, one guy said that if Richie Incognito gets cut, I'm going to go upstairs and, and tell my general manager why we need to sign Richie Incognito. So I look at that and that says to me that Richie Incognito definitely does have respect in NFL locker rooms. Guys still respect what Richie Incognito brings to the table. Guys respect it. Guys respect it. If this is, I mean, this is, they say it's going to change the way locker rooms and things are talked about, the way things are handled in NFL locker rooms moving forward. I don't know if that's going to be the case, at least maybe openly. But I think the culture stays the same. I mean, I, I really do. I mean, just like the whole Bounty Gate situation, a lot of people say it's going to change the way people do, you know, people change the way football is played in terms of bounties and things of that nature. I, I mean, it may change it, but it's just only going to change the way people do things. People are not going to be as open with certain things. They're still probably going to do the same type of stuff, just going to do it a little better. They're just going to be a little more sophisticated with it. I mean, it's just like criminals. I mean, you know, people are still committing the same crimes a lot of times, but they're, they're trying to do it better. They're trying to do it a little more sophisticated. You know, I mean, so I think this will continue to happen. Maybe, to not this, maybe not to this extent. And maybe it's probably going to be done differently. Obviously, it's going to be done differently. But I don't think this ends it. I think it, it quiets it down for a little bit for now. But this is a locker room. I mean, I mean this is not an office. You, you, can't, you can't do things in NFL locker room the way you do things in an office. It's just two different environments. 
You know what I mean? It's it's just two different environments. You can't compare the two. It's not close. The environments are so different. They just are. So it may change on the surface, but how much is it really going to change? And I and I and I bring back to this. I bring this point back too that I bring up a lot. A lot of times, we want to see what's going on. We want to get as close to the action as possible and see what I, exactly what's going on in, in various sports locker rooms and just in sports in general. We, get, we want to get as close to it as possible. And then we get close to it and we, and we see some of the things that go on, and now we, we, we start to say, oh, this needs to be changed, that needs to be changed, so on and so forth. It's just like the Richard Sherman thing. We want people to be honest, and then when they're honest, we kill them for it. We bash them for it. Just like here. We want to get close to the situation. We, know we want to know what's going on, and then we find out what's going on, and then we say, you know, we say this, that, and what have you. Don't make it right. I mean, I'm not saying Jonathan Martin should have been treated the way he was treated. doesn't make it right. But I also say this, as, as, as a man, as a person, I, 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 say, I said it before, I'll say it again. You determine how people treat you. You determine that. As a child, you can understand how, and I can understand how Jonathan Martin could feel in this situation. I do. I can understand it. But at the end of the day, you do have to stand up for yourself. And it may, in, in the process of standing up for yourself, it may not end the way you want it to end, but you're going to have to do it. And ultimately, ultimately, Jonathan Martin, maybe he learns a lesson from this and becomes stronger because of it. And ultimately, maybe Richie Incognito learns a lesson from it and becomes a better person because of it. And ultimately, maybe the NFL locker room becomes better because of it. I mean, you know, a lot of words that are flowing around in the NFL locker room. I mean, you've got a bunch of men playing a boys' game. So we want these people to be men, but they're playing a boys' game, playing a little kid's game. You're going to have boys will be boys. Boys will be boys, and it's not always going to be pretty. Let's make it right. No, but is it the culture? Sounds like it is. Sounds like it is. We'll see what happens with this story moving forward, and it should be very, very interesting to see how this one ends for Martin and see how this one ends for Rich Incognito. And then you wonder what what happens to Joe Philbin and the Dolphins, head coaching, you know, the head coach of the Dolphins. What happens there? Is he going to be safe? What happens to Maurice Pouncey and John Jerry? Are those guys going to be safe? So, I mean, a lot of things, a lot of variables to think about moving forward with this whole situation. I want to stick with this theme of the NFL locker room. I want to go to Michael Sam. and As we know, Michael Sam came out last Sunday, and when it's all said and done, he probably is going to be the first openly gay uh, football player in NFL history. He's going to be the first. He came out and announced he was gay. This is not a secret because general managers and scouts knew at the Senior Bowl that this was the case, so this was not surprising. His Missouri teammates knew that this was the case. So it was really not all surprising at all in terms of those in and around that circle. But now, you know, and let, let me be clear about something. I really don't care, you know, what Michael Sam, if he's gay, not gay, 
what happens. I, I really don't care because it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't determine whether or not – it doesn't determine what he's going to do on the football field. If he can ball out, if, if he can duplicate those 11 and a half sacks that he had this season with Missouri as he became the SEC Defensive Player of the Year, if he can do that on the NFL level, then it is what it is. As long as you're not breaking the law, it is what it is. At the end of the day, this is just sexuality. I mean, who cares? That's what you want to do? That's what you like? More power to you. As anything that you do, none of my business. But what is my business as a fan of a certain team, if you're on that certain team, is how you play on the field. That's my business on some level because I'm rooting and cheering for you. So if you fall out, if you can get it done, more power to you. Live your life. And here's the thing with this whole situation with, with Michael Sam. At the end of the day, if I was Michael Sam, this is the way I would have handled it. I would have never came out to any of my teammates in Missouri. I wouldn't have came out to nobody. I would have went through college, tried to get to the National Football League, established myself in the NFL, tried to establish myself in the NFL because there's no guarantee that he will ever establish himself in the NFL. But I would try to establish myself in the NFL, then i come out. Then after that, after I come out, I'm established in the NFL, I'm going to have a job because I have, I'm established. And I'm playing, I'm getting it done, I'm making plays, I'm going to have a job in this league. That's when I would come out, try to get the endorsements, try to get as much as I can from it. Try to get as much as I can from this whole situation. I mean, there, let's be honest. There are some, going to be some opportunities for, for um, Michael Sam, especially if he can play. If he can get it done and play and play well, there's going to be opportunities for this guy. It's just that there is. And he can cash in. He can definitely cash in. But I'm looking at Michael Sam's numbers. And I care about Michael Sam, the football player. I don't care about Michael Sam off the field. I don't care that he is gay. That doesn't really bother. It is what it is. I don't care. But in terms of his numbers, and I'm looking at his numbers, 11 and a half sacks, that's getting it done. Obviously, defensive player of the year in the SEC, that's getting it done. And I'm looking at his numbers. I mean, nine uh, well, you even look at 10 of his 11 and a half sacks was in a four-game span in September against Arkansas State, against Vanderbilt. He had no sacks against the high-powered Georgia team, and he had three sacks against Florida. So he had three sacks against Arkansas State, three sacks against Vanderbilt, and three sacks against Florida, and he had one sack against South Carolina. So 10 sacks in that four-game span. So he had one two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight, 14 games he played in, and eight of those games he was sackless. Eight of those games he was sackless. At this point, from what scouts are saying, I'm just going by and reading what some of the scouts are saying. I'm taking this from a Newsday article, and this is, you know, this is what some of the, this is the scouting report on Michael Sam, Sam does, you know, this guy is able to get to the quarterbacks or the positives. He's powerful for his frame, 6'2", 
255 pounds. He's able to get a good jump off the line of scrimmage. Um, he's able to get quarterbacks out of pocket, able to chase down running backs, and he's able to create leverage against bigger blockers. Some of the negatives, some believe he's undersized. He is undersized at a defensive end. He's, uh, he lacks speed. He lacks the size and is a tweener, essentially, which is basically too small to be an everyday, every down defensive lineman, but also too raw and not you know, fluid enough of an athlete to play outside linebacker. He did struggle, they say, in a stand-up role linebacking position. So this is a guy who has, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that he's going to go high in this draft, but a lot of people are saying, and this particular person had him um, ranked as a second rounder, and this was before the, uh, the Senior Bowl. Some believe he could be a one-trick pony, just able to get to the quarterback. But essentially, a lot of ways you're hearing anywhere from the third to the sixth round where Michael Sam could go to the third round to possibly being undrafted. And they did say after he made this announcement that his stock did go down a little bit in terms of where he might go. I look at this, and, and, and I say this. I say this. At the end of the day, this is going to come down to whether or not he can play. But if I'm a general manager, and, and I have reservations about whether he can play, nothing else, whether he's gay, what have you, nothing else, whether he can play. If I have reservations of whether or not this guy can play, I don't think I take him. Because let's be clear about the situation. Whether you agree with this lifestyle or don't agree with this lifestyle, the reality is it's going to be a, there's going to be some distractions. That's just reality. There's going to be some distractions here. And I look at Tim Tebow, for example. I'm looking at Tim Tebow. Do I think Tim Tebow is a great quarterback? No. But do I think one of the reasons Tim Tebow does not have a job in this league, and, I, and I'll say this, when he, when he was with New England in the preseason, he was awful. There's no getting around that. He was not very good. But I think one of the big reasons Tim Tebow is not getting an opportunity in this league is because of the mania that surrounds Tim Tebow, the Tebow mania, Tebow maniacs. That, to me, prevents him from getting a job as a backup in this league. And also, also one of the reasons that prevents him from getting a job in this league is that he refuses to think about switching positions. I think if he thought about switching positions, I also think if the mania wasn't as crazy, he could get an opportunity in this league. He could get an opportunity in this league. So with that being said, with that being said, if I'm a GM and I have reservations about whether or not he could play in this league, meaning Michael Sam, I don't think I'd take him. I don't think I'd take him because – of the possible distractions. And you say that's not fair. But it is what it is. The situation is what it is. It is what it is. And since it is what it is, if I'm a general manager <clears throat> and this guy can play, he's on my team. I'll make it work. If he can't play, or, or I believe that there's a possibility he can't play as a general manager. He's not on my team because of the possible distractions 
that may come with it. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. It should be interesting how this plays out. Obviously, I think he's going to get a chance. Obviously, I believe he's going to get drafted. It's just a matter of where and who and whether or not ultimately at the end of the day he can play in this league. Because I think that's what he's truly going to be judged on. But I also think if it's close and a general manager believes that there's a possibility he cannot play, then I believe that that general manager or that team will pass on Michael Sam. But we'll see how it plays out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by former NFL running back Veron Haynes, and we're going to get his take on the Richie Incognito Jonathan Martin situation, and also Michael Sam and how that will play in an NFL locker room. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw uh, you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around you. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on, Come on, now. Come on, now. That's all That's not Rocky. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thank- very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back. And we're back. And let's, we're about to bring him in now. We're going to bring him in now. Um, former NFL running back from Ron Hayes. But before we do that, you know, the whole situation with Richie Incognito, Jonathan Barton, it came out yesterday. Incognito, Maurice Pouncey, and John Jerry, according to the special investigator Ted Wells, believes that those guys did bully Jonathan, did bully Jonathan Martin and did also lead to him ultimately leaving the team and ultimately did lead to him having mental health and suicidal thoughts mental health issues, excuse me, and suicidal thoughts. So, obviously, obviously, these uh, investigator Wells believes that Richie Incognito was a big issue here in terms of how this whole situation played out with Jonathan Martin. But let's bring him in now, running back, former NFL running back for the Steelers and Falcons, the one, the only, Veron Haynes. Veron, how are you, man? I'm well, Paul. How, how how goes everything with you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, like always, man. It's always a pleasure. Now, Veron, let's get right down to it. As we said, it came out yesterday. Investigator Wells believes that Jonathan, excuse me, believes that Richie Incognito did bully Jonathan Martin. Moving forward, moving forward, how do you think that changes things in the NFL in an NFL locker room? Does it change anything? Well, you know, the rookie hazing throughout the league, that goes on. That, let me just say that. I mean, but it's not any more than, you know, maybe getting a, a, a haircut, maybe bringing breakfast, stuff of that nature. Anything more than that, above and beyond that, it's not called for. Right. You know, so I think, 
where it's going to shape up in the locker room is the veteran leadership, which I don't know why, how they let that transpire down there, would have to put a clamp on things, so to speak. And I, I look at this situation, obviously some of the actions by, by these guys is, is not what people see normally in an NFL locker room, according to a lot of other players who have talked about this whole situation. Now, from what you see in NFL locker room, give, give, us what, give us what goes on in an NFL locker room. What kind of things are you going to see in an NFL locker room? What kind of things are you going to hear in an NFL locker room? Well, you bond, you know, it's, 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 it's honestly, when, people, when you hear people playing longer than they're supposed to and they want to go back for another year, i.e. Brett Favre and stuff, it's not, it's not, trust me, it's not the practices that you're going to miss. It's the bond, that cohesive, that brotherhood, that 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 camaraderie that right. that people miss, so to speak, in every sense of the word. And that's what goes on in the locker room. You know, it's the sweat, blood, and tears. You you guys you guys fight fought on the field. Now let's go. You know, bowling. Let's go to movies. Let's let's get it in. When when coach announced that in the dog days of summer and you've been working your butts off and your tails off, and then he, he, he announced, hey, instead of going to practice, we're going to go to the movies, and everybody just <laughs> starts chanting for joy. You know, those are the kind of stuff that you miss. Right. So it's, it's more so not necessarily playing, but just being around the guys. Being around the guys, man. You know, uh, it's a fraternity. You know, anybody right. that's ever experienced a fraternity Slash uh, sorority atmosphere. That's what it is, man. That's what it is. It's 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 tremendous. Uh, uh, it's, it's a tremendous bond. Now I hear a lot of I hear some ex players say that they felt that this issue could have been handled internally in the locker room and didn't have to be taken outside the locker room. Do you believe that to be the case? Could it have been handled in the locker room? Should it have been handled by the locker room? It should have. It should have. Uh, and that's what I mentioned earlier on in my statement. Uh, veteran leaders in the locker room. I know when I showed up at the uh, at the Steelers as a as a rookie, you know, uh, the, they they did a good job. Yeah, sure, we problems as far as, as as singing. You know, we had to get up on the table and 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 sing our our our, our team song, our our alma mater song. You know, stuff of that nature. But it didn't go further than that. And okay. kudos for having a bit uh, a good locker room as Jerome Bettis, as 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 Jason Gilden, as as Joey Porters. You know, they they didn't let it go, you know, <laughs> first of all, let me let me let me back up. When you show up as a rookie, veterans don't like you to begin with. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> the buttons that are pushed are just, you know, when they're pushed on you, you know you're only a rookie once, so you're going to get to do it for the next guy, you know, but you know what you experienced, so you don't want to overdo it. Right. So you're because basically going to saying get, that – go ahead. Because what goes around comes around. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? But do you think this could – if so you're basically saying that if the Dolphins had a better veteran presence in that locker room, that this whole situation really would not have taken, you know, would not have went down. I truly believe. I truly believe that. 
and being a new coach, being that they have a new coach and all that. So it's a lot that played into it because Coach Cowher was there for many years. He was right. there 14 years, you know, and, you know, it, it, it starts at the top, man, and it trickles its way down. But I blame, honestly, and, 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 and this, is, this is going outside the realm of the NFL, like what everybody else thinks, but I really do think that the, the veteran leadership has to take some blame for this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, to your point, Richie Incognito was supposedly one of those veteran guys in the locker room, one right. of those respected leaders in the locker room. So Correct. Coming off a of Pro Bowl year. Right, right. So, you know, yeah. to your point, if that locker room, if the veterans were, if the leadership was better, this probably doesn't take place. We're talking to former NFL running back, Veron Haynes. Now, I asked you earlier, and I'm going to ask you again, from this point, we all know that everybody says, that, okay, the locker room's got to change, it's going to change, it's going to change. And it may change at least on the surface. But really, really, do you see the locker room truly, truly changing because of this? Well, I think this, because of the heat that they're trans- that, that's transpiring right now, I think they have no other choice but to change. Because okay. now they have a not now they have a, a, a magnifying glass un, over them. So everybody's gonna be watching them. Everybody's gonna see what thing that comes out of that they wanna keep they wanna keep just take for instance, all right, the the stuff that I don't wanna bring up old stuff, but to make a point I will. With Atlanta Falcons and Michael Vick. Okay. Now since that character issue stuff. They have drafted, they, they have tried to go above and beyond to make sure that that doesn't happen around mm-hmm. in the ATL anymore. So mm-hmm. the same, if so, that's what I think is going to happen in Miami. They're going to go above and beyond with more programs imp- implemented to, 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 to show, to show good faith. Faith. Right. So basically what you're saying right now, the block is hot, but, Eventually, when when it all cools down at the end of the day, it's really going to change the same. It's really going to be the same. It's it's going to be the same, but they won't get caught anymore. Okay. Take another okay. example. Look at this. Look at the Saints. Right. Know, anybody that plays know that it's not. They put a, a word on it like a bounty, but it's really just you know we we put money in a pool. Right. It's, it's it's just little stuff that we do. Like if you, but it's good things too that that go into a pool. Not just hitting a quarterback, sacking a quarterback. Mm-hmm. It, it, it 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 making a tackle inside the twenty. Right. It gives you that extra incentive to go out there and perform. You know, like like it just makes it fun. Mm-hmm. People do it at their jobs with with with, with different pools or or, right. or, or, or 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 squares that they have. It's the same thing that goes on, like for the Super Bowl. I know a lot of uh, uh, companies have Super Bowl squares. Right. If you get X amount right in the, uh, the this score by the end of the first quarter or the third quarter, whatever, you get this pool. Same, 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 same difference. We're making right. a tackle inside the twenty on special team. If you're a special team guy, or you're making that sack, it's just extra incentive just to make it fun, a little bit lively, right. bring some color to it. <laughs> We're talking to former NFL running back Veron Haynes. And, Veron, also a big announcement 
this week in football, Michael Sam, he revealed that he is gay, and more more than likely he's probably going to be the first openly gay NFL player in the history of the game. How do you see this thing playing out in the NFL locker room? Well, first off, let me go back and just say hats off. I think I tweeted that. Hats off to Michael Sam. Big kudos to him doing that. You know, I've heard a lot of various athletes come out and speak on it, some good, some bad. I honestly, if the guy, if the cat can play, I don't care what his, 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 his off the field uh, 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 endeavors are as far as, 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 right. as his, his sexuality. That's him. Right. On the field, exactly. he's a beast, play him. Play him. I, exactly. I, will open, I will welcome him with open arms in my locker room. And Definitely. he's going to have another, another and, and this brings me back to the point that I made earlier, he's going to have to go to a team that has a great leader, a mm-hmm. great veteran leadership that whenever the, the rookie hazing goes on and, and he's questioning, are they, are, they, are they hazing me because I'm a rookie or are they hazing me because of my sexuality? Right. Somebody's going to have to come after, uh, mind you, Again, I brought you back to the, I'm bringing you back again. Veterans do not like rookies, regardless. <laughs> right? <laughs> you have to earn your keep. I remember it was hard for me, man. It was hard. Until you make that 53-man roster, and even then, you just made it. You know, because I was like the, probably the 53rd guy that my rookie year. <laughs> right. <laughs> that actually made the roster. But until you're actually doing something. You know, I, I started out on special teams. Then you get the guys around you, rah, 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 the brotherhood. Oh, man, this guy can play. He can help us. I think right. once he starts helping, helping people in a, uh, on the field, that goes out the door. That goes out the door, as you can see the case with him at Mizzou. Right. Exactly. Now, let me ask you this, and I, and I talked about this earlier. If you were Michael Sam, and, and me personally, if I was Michael Sam, I would have never told anybody in Missouri I was gay, and I would never tell anybody. No one would ever know I was gay until I established myself in the league. Would you have came out if you were Michael Sam, knowing what could happen? Well, here's the thing. I believe that because I heard his coach speak on it, and it was room was flying. You know, I mean, everybody's going to their club, and he's going to that club, you know. Everybody, so the rumors start, speculations going on all around. So to dead that and not be a distraction, of, uh, 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 another distraction, kudos for him for, for stepping up and saying, yo, this is what, because I've played with a couple of guys that I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it could have, <laughs> you know, and we, it, was, it was people talking behind his back, you know, but it was never publicized. So, right. He, he 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 stepped up and you know the what what I'm so proud of him for is it takes a lot of guts and glory. It takes a lot of guts to do that, man. It takes a lot. I mean just just what what's going through his mind, you know, as he's giving the interview. I could tell he was a bit nervous. I could tell right. he was a bit nervous, so you know, kudos for him for stepping up and owning it and not letting somebody write that chapter about him and not and, and, and I speculate. Now, let, let me ask you this. 
we 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 we're, we're talking. Yes, what you know, we're talking about Michael Sam and, and what he did and his announcement. And, and yes, it is brave on a lot of levels. But in terms of the nitty gritty in the NFL locker room, and I know you said at the end of the day, if he can help somebody and he can play, it's going to be all good. But let's just say he's a, let's just say he's a tweener. Let's just say there there's some believe that he can play, some believe that he can't play, and ultimately he's like the fifty second. 53rd man on the NFL rocker, NFL roster. Oh, so he's for Ron Haynes his rookie year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Do you, do you think he will stick with a roster if that's the case? And if you're a coach or a general manager, knowing the possible distractions, would you keep him if he is the 52nd, 53rd man on a roster? That's the decision that now it wavers back to what I was saying. Now, now we check our locker room. Who do we have that – do we have a Tony Gonzalez? Do we okay. have a, a Jerome Bettis? Do you, you, you understand? Or is it a right. younger team like Miami that's right. – they can't handle that. They can't. One more blow to that team, and they, they're going to blow up. They're going to start pointing fingers. So that's out the question. Now we go to – Miami I'm talking about is out of the question. So now we go to right. a team that can handle that, a coach that can handle it. Sounds like I the Patriots. I think he's out there in Cal- – I think he, the Patriots can definitely handle that. Right. But then, then you, 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 you might look at, look, at, look, at, look at San Francisco. Now that enhances right. the public. You, 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 and – he can play. He can. They they love their linebackers out there now, and Bowman is coming sure. off. You know, he he. Uh, I'm just, you know, thinking about it as I'm speaking now. Now that that becomes a a a asset to you out there, for more sure. than a liability. For sure, for sure, and, and that it, it would make per- perfect sense. A place like a San Francisco, a place like a New England, for various reasons, but ultimately right. those. Two situations kind of stick out at me when it comes to Michael Sam. But at the end of the day, and I think we both agree on this, if he can play, he can play, he can play. and it's not going to even matter. Play. It's not going to matter. It's, right. After he makes that sack, I don't think it's anybody on, anybody in the stadium bar anybody on his team that's going, that's going to look at him any different. You make a sack, right. you're in the heat of the moment. You, you're, it's, the, the, the atmosphere is electrifying. This is gonna go up there and, and congratulate that man. Right, for sure. We're talking to former NFL running back for Ron Haynes. Ron, I want to ask you now about the Super Bowl. Now, uh, a couple weeks uh, later, obviously, but looking at back on it, were you shocked? And I, I was shocked by what I saw. But were you, are you shocked? And were you shocked by how dominant Seattle was in that game? I absolutely was. It it it, it just wasn't. It wasn't just. Seattle's dominance. It was the lack of offensive productivity for Denver Broncos. Because even even every every series that that that, that Peyton got up there, I was like, all they need is a score, and they back in it. All they need is a score. Okay, yes, they just need they just need points. And Peyton had it in his DNA that you know he gave us that hope. So we kept on watching. <laughs> but I think when Percy broke that thing over in the third quarter, uh, returned that kickoff, yeah, uh, you could hear the air out that balloon deflating. They just took a sucker punch. 
Were you there? And then, like, game over. No. No, I didn't go to the game. I didn't go to the game. I didn't go to the game. I was in the city. You were around. I didn't go to okay. the game. <laughs> and, I, and I saw you tweet out that you were going to Seattle's vic- Seattle Seahawks victory party. Did you end up there? Hey, hey, man, you know uh, uh, Don King, he always come, comes with the winner and leads with the winner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I was going for I was going for the Broncos, but hey, you know we hey they're gonna have the better uh, party over here. So let me go over here. <laughs> <laughs> and real quickly now, you know, you spent time in New York during that whole Super Bowl, cold weather Super Bowl. What's your thoughts on that? I personally believe that the NFL should play a Super Bowl in quote unquote perfect conditions. But what's your thoughts on that? Uh, honestly, I would much prefer it being in a Miami atmosphere every year. <laughs> but I know the reason why they do it. They give the other they give the other thirty thirty one teams an uh, opportunity to 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 and uh, and cities an uh, opportunity to, to to get some earn some extra money. So right. I sure. I absolutely see why they do it. But I would prefer it to be in Miami every year. Okay, okay, okay. And this is from a guy who lived in Trinidad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, as you can tell, I don't, I don't do cold too, too much. <laughs> I grew up uh, climbing trees and picking coconuts. Okay, so it makes a lot of sense now. Veron, <laughs> pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing Always but the best pleasure. of luck. Let's do it again. Absolutely, P. And you have a great day. You too. Ah. Ron Haynes, former NFL running back, Steelers, Falcons, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. Also, um, <clears throat> a lot of interesting things that he said in that interview, a lot of things in terms of, you know, Michael Sam, what I was talking about. And I do believe at the end of the day, if he can ball and, and do what he's got to do on the field, he will be fine. And, I also will say this. Um, I, I do believe what what Michael Sam is doing. I do believe it's brave. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to say heroic, but I want to say brave, from from the standpoint that hey, I mean he is doing something different. He he is different than than anybody else we've seen in terms of being the first openly gay player in football history, in NFL history. But at the end of the day, it is and only is sexuality. So. I mean, yes, it is brave, but no, it's not heroic. Just my opinion. But I, I do believe at the end of the day, and I hope if he can play, he gets a fair opportunity to play in the National Football League. And, and that's the key question, whether or not he can play. But I, as I said before, I'll say it again, if it's close, if he's 52, 53 on the roster, no matter how how my strong my locker room is, I'm not selecting them and I'm not keeping them because of the possible distractions. And I, I go back to the Riley Cooper situation with the Philadelphia Eagles this year when Riley Cooper came out and, and you know, used the N-word at the Kenny Chesney concert. At the time, it was my belief, okay, if I don't believe this guy can play, then I'm going to move on from Riley Cooper. But if I do believe he can play, then I'm going to keep Riley Cooper because at the end of the day, no matter what happens, it's all about what he can do on the field. And if he is not a distraction, and if what he does on the field out, what he does on the field is greater than what happens off the field, 
that I'm going to keep Riley Cooper on my roster. Ultimately, Riley Cooper turned out, it turned out well because the leadership in that locker room, to Veron Haynes' Haynes's point, the leadership in that locker room stepped up to the plate and accepted Riley Cooper, and ultimately Riley Cooper went out and balled and had a fairly good year for the Philadelphia Eagles. But if Riley Cooper, if, if, if Chip Kelly didn't believe Riley Cooper could help the football team, believe me, Riley Cooper wouldn't be there. But Chip Kelly believed that Riley Cooper could help his football team, so he kept Riley Cooper on the roster, and it worked out well for him. It worked out well for him. But obviously GMs around the league are thinking the way I'm thinking because a lot of people are talking about how his draft stock has slipped. So obviously GMs are saying, you know what, if, he, if, if he's not good enough, he's not worth the distraction. He's not worth the distraction. He's not. If we don't believe he's good enough, then he is not worth the distraction. At the end of the day, you look at what's going on and what's coming out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure the NFL truly is ready for this. But at the end of the day, whether they're ready or not ready, he's, they're going to have to get ready because it's just the way of the world at this point in time. It's just the way of the world at this point in time. And as we all know, NFL executives, a lot of people are coming out. They believe. It's not ready. The NFL is not ready. And here are some quotes for some GMs and coaches and scouts from around the league. Quote, in the coming decade or two, <clears throat> it's going to be acceptable. But at this point in time, it's still a man's man's game. To call somebody a gay slur is still so commonplace. It's chemically imbalanced in NFL locker room and meeting room. Here's some other quotes. Quote, there's nothing more sensitive than the heartbeat of a locker room. If you knowingly bring someone in there with that sexual orientation, how are the other guys going to deal with it? It's going to be a distraction. That's the reality. Here's another one. I think it's going to affect most locker rooms. A lot of guys will be uncomfortable. Ten years from now, fine. But today I think being openly gay is a factor in the locker room. Here's another one. I just know with this going on, this is going to drop him down. There's no question about it. It's human nature. Do you want to be the team to, quote, unquote, break that barrier? And that's just a sampling of some of what is being said by some NFL executive coaches and scouts in and around the National Football League. So, with that being said, if you feel like your locker room is not ready for this, do you, if you feel like the locker room as a, as a whole is not ready for this, do you bring him in? And I will say this, an interesting thing, Roger Goodell's brother is gay, the commissioner of the National Football League. His brother is gay. So, Roger Goodell... Obviously, and, and according to reports, Roger Goodell has been very, very protective of his brother. So, obviously, Roger Goodell, I'm not saying he's going to force a team to draft Michael Sam, but I think a team will draft Michael Sam. And maybe because of that, but just in general, I think somebody will give him a shot. 
because at the end of the day, 11 and a half sacks, playing in the SEC, being the defensive player of the year in the SEC, is big time. Best conference in football. And he went out there and had 11 and a half sacks. Second hour, go for it, starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! And we're back on Go For It. want to thank Baron Haynes for joining us. Hit him up on Twitter, at Baron Haynes. In this hour, we're expected to be joined by Arizona Cardinals tight end Darren Fells. And Darren making that transition from playing basketball overseas to tight end in the National Football League. And we've seen that transition happen before. Antonio Gates, you've got Jimmy Graham to name a couple. And those two were premier tight ends in this league, premier tight ends. So we're going to talk to Darren Fells about his transition from the National Football League, from basketball to the NFL. I want to go to Marcus Smart now, and we all know the situation, we all know the story, and we all know what transpired. Marcus Smart from Oklahoma State last week against Texas Tech, he goes in for a block, he falls down, he's near the stand, he's in, in the crowd. According to, to reports, the fan called Marcus Smart the N-word. Marcus Smart would push the fan, and ultimately Marcus Smart would get a three-game suspension. I look at that whole situation with Marcus Smart now and that whole and, and, and the way it transpired. Um, obviously, when you're in a situation like that, when, when, when you're in a situation where, you know, the fans are the fans and you're the player, the fans are going to say a lot of things. The fans are going to say a lot of bad things to you and about you, about your parents, about your wife, girlfriend, maybe even your kids. At the end of the day, this is something, fair or unfair, that Marcus Smart is going to have to get used to. And you can't, just because a fan calls you an N-word, it is not right because that's a grown man calling kid, Marcus Smart, the N-word. So Marcus Smart reacted as a kid would react in that particular situation. Is it right for Marcus Smart to do what he did? No, not at all, because the reality of the situation, Marcus Smart goes into the stands, who knows what could happen. He could set off a riot, i.e. what we saw at the Malice in the Palace in Detroit many years ago. We had Ron Artest going to the crowd, and Ron Artest going into the crowd, it caused a big-time disturbance, a big-time situation. And I look at that situation, Ron Artest, here's the thing. I look at the situation with Ron Artest. Obviously, Ron Artest has no business going into the stands. We get that. But here's the thing. Ron Artest, in a lot of ways, is a victim, just like Marcus Smart is a victim. I mean, Ron Artest was laying on the scorer's table, and he was, someone threw a soda at him, hit him, 
And this is the same Ron Artest who had just walked away from Ben Wallace after Ben Wallace had pushed him in the face. So Ron Artest not only walked away from that, but he also walked away from assault. He also walked away. He walked away from that. And then we're going to ask him to walk away from someone throwing a soda at him. Now, I don't excuse Ron Artest's actions at all because what, what he did could have caused a, someone to seriously get hurt. That was a, it was a riot, what we saw in the palace on that day. So what transpired there really, really, really could have caused some major problems. But here's what happens. With Marcus Smart, obviously a little younger than Ryan Artest at the time. For, for Marcus Smart now, you know, no one should be called the N-word. No one. And, you know, you'll have the argument, well, you hear it in rap songs, you hear it there or everywhere. Here's the reality. It's African-Americans talking to African-Americans. This is just my belief. African-Americans talking to African-Americans. I'm not saying it's acceptable, but I get it. But when you have the opposite, when you have, when you have uh, someone that is not African-American calling Marcus Smart the N-word, and we're not talking with the A, we're talking with the E-R, and the fan, to, to this point, the fan does deny using the N-word. But when you, when, if, if that transpires the way we believe that's the case, if, if that transpired the way Marcus Marsh said it transpired and he was called the N-word, then you understand his actions, <clears throat> but in the end of the day, the actions cannot be deemed acceptable. <clears throat> we, we can't have those actions be deemed acceptable because at the end of the day, Someone could get hurt. Someone could get hurt. Someone could get hurt. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Someone seriously could get hurt. Marcus Smart is the victim here. But Marcus Smart, at the end of the day, moving on from this, and he's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to get a thicker skin. Because people are going to say a lot of things to him on an NBA basketball court. People are not going to be so nice in some of the things they say to him on an NBA basketball court. So Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart has to be smarter. Marcus Smart is going to have to be smarter moving forward. And it's just going to have to get a thicker skin. Fair or unfair, reality is reality. He's going to have to get smarter. He's going to have to. He's going to have to get a thicker skin. He's going to have to deal with it. You have to understand, and he's a kid. He's a kid. So you understand why he did what he did. But you also have to understand that everybody... It's not going to be nice to you. You got to understand everybody's not going to say nice things to you on the court. Well, I think we also have to understand that Marcus Smart is only 19 years old. We have to understand that. But at the end of the day, if Marcus Smart wants to play in the National Basketball Association and have a successful career in the National Basketball Association, these are the things he's going to have to deal with. These are 
these situations he's going to have to deal with. That's just the way it's going to be. It's the way it is. He's going to have to be and get a thicker skin. It's not fair. By no means is it fair. By no means is it fair. But he's just, he's just going to have to get stronger mentally. He's going to have to get stronger mentally. If that's going, I mean, if he wants to be what he wants to be on that, on the on the next stage, on the next level. Because not everybody's going to be nice, and not everybody's going to say nice things to you. Just the way it is. It's just the way it is. I want to switch now to the Cleveland Browns, and what a what a what a franch what a sad sack franchise that is. What a what a franchise that is. And. You look at the whole situation. You look at the situation now. So they fired their head coach, Rob Chizinski, after the first season. And then, okay, get that. It didn't work. But we all know Chizinski didn't have a great quarterback situation. And I would say he did a fairly good job with what he had. But I look at the Cleveland Browns situation, no one wanted this job. Everybody took their name out of this job left and right. Adam Gaze of the Broncos, Broncos offense coordinator, Josh McDaniels, a few others took their name out of this situation. You know, and these are guys who want to be coaches in this league. But they took their name out of the situation. And ultimately, Joe Banner, Mike Lombardi, Jimmy Haslam, ultimately they decided on Mike Patton Jr. as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. And at that point you say, okay, Mike Patton Jr. was selected by Joe Banner and Mike Lombardi. And you figure, okay, since these guys did select the head coach in this particular situation, you felt there was no way that these guys would get fired as well. But as it turns out, they weren't safe either. Even, even after you let these guys, Joe Banner, Mike Lombardi, even after you let these guys decide on the head coach of your team moving forward, you decide to fire. You decide. And I'm not saying these guys did a great job, but what I'm saying is if you were going to fire them, why didn't you fire them? When you fired Rob Chesinski, that would make more sense. And it's starting to come out why they may have fired Joe Panner and Mike Lombardi. And one of those reasons was head coach of the Buccaneers, Greg Ciano, former head coach of the Buccaneers, Greg Ciano. According to Peter King of MMQB.com, MondayMorningQuarterback.com, um, Joe Banner was not happy about the interview or about the, the Browns interviewing former Bucks coach Greg Ciano. And this was against Joe Banner's wishes. So ultimately, those guys would go down and interview 
Greg Chiano. And ultimately, they would talk to Greg Chiano. Apparently, in that interview, Joe Banner was, uh, was standoffish and during that time. And, and i got to be honest. I mean, obviously, according to reports, Peter King's report, this interview was given because of Bill Belichick's relationship with Lombardi and Bill Belichick's relationship with Greg Chiano. So they gave him an opportunity. <clears throat> they gave him an opportunity. But, but, looking at it, I don't know why they would give Greg Chiano a chance anyway. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how they would hire Greg Chiano after what he went through in Tampa with, with everything. I mean, the Josh Freeman story, the, the MRSA, everything. Everything. But now, there, you know, there are also talk that Joe Banner wasn't all too happy about the whole situation in terms of his firing. Never saw it coming. And he was under the impression that all was good. All was good. But I guess all was not good. And now Ray Farmer is the new GM of the Cleveland Browns. What a mess. What a mess. What a mess. What a mess. And a lot of and, and, and it's a mess in Cleveland. And the way they got rid of Rob Chizinski and just what he dealt with in Cleveland in terms of his quarterback situation, in terms of the team, you were shocked that he lost his job. But I think this is even more shocking based off what happened with, I mean, I'm shocked because <clears throat> reality is you let Lombardi and Banner choose your next head coach. And then how a month, month or so later, you kick them to the curb too. That organization is a mess. That organization needs to clean up. Haslam needs to clean up some things in this organization. Jimmy Haslam, the owner, needs to clean this organization up moving forward. needs to clean things up moving forward. So we'll see what happens moving forward with the Cleveland Browns. And Joe Banner, we'll see what happens with him. I mean, he was a guy in Philadelphia who had a lot of success. Wasn't always liked by the players, but he had a lot of success. You know, numbers don't lie. Even though they didn't win a title, they got to the NFC title game five times and ultimately got to the Super Bowl once. So, this is a uh, banner has had success. He has had success. Had a lot of success. A lot of it. But we'll see. And here's the thing about Joe Banner Joe Banner was a guy. You know, when, it, when when the Eagles first came onto the scene, when, when Jeffrey Laurie first came on the scene, I should say, with the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Banner was the was the cap guy, was the money guy, wasn't really the, the, the guy in terms of dealing with talent and things of that nature. 
ultimately he morphed into that guy. I guess he, he started to get more power in the Eagle organization. And ultimately, after getting let go by the Philadelphia Eagles, he was able to land on his feet in Cleveland and, and run that organization. And ultimately, he ran that organization. I guess you could say to the ground on some level. And I'm not saying it's all his fault because, again, you have the situation with Jimmy Haslam and the instability a lot of ways with that organization. Rob Chesinski really didn't deserve to get fired when he did. But it is what it is. But that Cleveland organization is an organization that needs to clean up and clean up soon because it's really not a good perception of organization in and around the National Football League. Let's go to basketball now, National Basketball Association, All-Star Weekend. And nobody does All-Star Weekend like the NBA. I said it before, I'll say it again. No one does All-Star Weekend and the All-Star Game like the NBA. Now, All-Star Games in general stink. Let's be honest. All-Star Games in general absolutely stink. They stink. But... To me, the home run derby is unwatchable for baseball in their all-star game, even though the team who wins, the league who wins, gets home field advantage for their teams in their respective league, even though home field advantage matters in the World Series because of the all-star game in baseball, it's still unwatchable. Football, it's unwatchable. There's no way you can make football serious. I mean, there's no way you can just go through a game and not be serious in football and have it look good. It's just not. No way you can do it. And I don't blame any of those guys in the National Football League for not taking those games as serious as some want them to do. I don't blame them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't because the reality of the situation is you never know what could happen in the National Football League because your contract is not guaranteed. So I get it. But the NBA, well, let's go to hockey now. Not very exciting. The game is unrealistic. Who scores 12, 13, 14 goals in a hockey game? So it's unrealistic. But, again, you can't have real hockey in an all-star game. Basketball is different. You can, I know it's a track meet up and down. But when you get to the nitty-gritty of the game, it gets a little serious. So I look at the all-star game in the NBA with the dunk contest, three-point shooting contest, shooting stars, and so on and forth. I look at that as exciting. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but it's better than what's out there. I mean, you know, the dunk contest, if if LeBron James were to enter a dunk contest, do you know how much intrigue would be on the dunk contest? And that was the beauty of the dunk contest in its heyday is because superstars participated in a dunk contest. Dominique Wilkins. Michael Jordan, even Vince Carter in 2000, you had superstars. Dwight Howard, you know, when you have stars involved in the dunk contest, it makes it more exciting. Paul George is involved this time around. Damian Lillard, why not LeBron James? We saw the videos of LeBron James and some of the sick dunks that he had in those videos, but he won't. He won't do a dunk contest. And hopefully he'll change his mind at some point, but as the years go by, as he gets older, the the chances of LeBron James doing an all-star game 
dunk contests, the chances, the chances of LeBron James doing an all-star game dunk contest become less and less. He's 29 years old right now. He'll be 30 next year. So those chances diminish. They diminish. You wish it could happen, but they diminish. But anyway, sticking with the NBA, Kevin Durant at this point, as far as I'm concerned, he is the MVP of this league for a lot of reasons. First of all, he's balling out of his mind. 31 points per game, five boards, darn near eight rebounds a game. So he's balling and getting another. Secondly, his team, best record in basketball. The best record in basketball is OKC. OKC has the best record in basketball. And here's the thing about OKC having the best record in basketball. Here is the thing, the interesting thing to me, and what what kind of cinches it and clinches it for me. Russell Westbrook has been out a lot of games for OKC. Russell Westbrook has been out. So Kevin Durant has carried the load. He's carried the load for his team, even without Russell Westbrook. And we all know Russell Westbrook, one of the most talented point guards in this game. But Russell Westbrook, this season, this season for Oklahoma City has only played 25 games. So OKC has played 30 games without their second-best player, and they still have the best record, not only in the Western Conference, but the best record in basketball. You took 21 points per game, seven assists and six rebounds out of your lineup with with, uh, Russell Westbrook, and you still, you still are on top of the Western Conference and still have the best record in basketball. Why is that? Who's the big reason for that? KD, Kevin Durant. 31 points per game, five assists, darn near eight boards a game. That's Kevin Durant. And that's what he's bringing to the table for OKC. And again, this is the same OKC team that has the best record in basketball. The reason is Kevin Durant. He is the reason that OKC is where they are at. This guy, in a way, he's balled out this season. He's balled out and been balling throughout the course of this year. This is his year. This is his year. 51% 51% from the field, field goal percentage. I mean, that's big time. Taking 20 shots a game, but, again, making half of them. That's big time. You know, and I, I'm hearing LeBron James, LeBron James, in terms of what he has brought to the table this season, and he's brought a lot to the table this season. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I know LeBron James has taken three less shots than KD, and and LeBron's making 9.7 shots per game, 57%, and his numbers are impressive as well. But LeBron James can't win it every year, just like Michael Jordan. 
LeBron James can't win it every year. But even with that being said, I'm taking that out the window. OKC has the best record in basketball, and Kevin Durant is playing some big-time basketball. And, you know, Kevin, you know, LeBron James does it all, but Kevin Durant is not too far behind. I mean, LeBron James, 26.5 points per game, six assists, seven boards per game. Compare it to Kevin Durant, 7.8 rebounds per game, 5.5 assists per game, and 31.5 points per game, and shooting 51% from the field. Shooting 51% from the field. I think it's a no-brainer at this point. Who is the MVP of the NBA at this stage of the game? And I don't think it's really going to change much. I mean, it's not going to change much. Unless Kevin Durant goes down with a season-ending injury, I mean, he's 54 games into the season. 54. So 28 more left. So unless Kevin Durant goes down with a, with a, a season-ending injury, there's no way that he won't get the MVP. I, I think he's sewn it up at this point. I think he's sewn it up. I don't see him falling off. So unless he gets hurt, he's the MVP in the National Basketball Association this season. He is the MVP, and rightfully so. I don't really think it's really a debate at this point. I think it's kind of clear. I know LeBron, Again, I know Kevin Durant shoots the ball three more times than LeBron, but at the same time, at the same time, he's making 51% of his shots. He's making 51% of his shots. And I know LeBron's making 57% of his shots. But at the same time, Kevin Durant and the OKC Thunder have the best record in basketball. They have the best record in basketball. So reality is, with that being said, if I'm saying and I'm calling and casting and, and, and making a vote for the MVP, I think with 54%, 54 games reported, I think it's fair to say that Kevin Durant is the MVP of the 2013-2014 basketball season. Unless something crazy happens. And I don't really see that happening. I want to go to the Lakers. Um now and this is a team that just has fallen apart. They've fallen apart. Broke a record for most consecutive home losses. This is a team that's just falling apart. And you know, when they when this all came together a few years back with Kobe and Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, when that all came together a lot of people were hyped. A lot of people were were saying at that point the Lakers are going to win an NBA title. A lot of people were excited, ecstatic. A lot of people. And I was one who jumped on that bandwagon and said the Lakers would go to the NBA Finals, ultimately win in the NBA Finals. 
No, I actually said the Heat would win, but I thought the Lakers would get to the finals. But with that being said, I also did say this. This situation could fall apart as well. And I was right in terms of saying that it could fall apart. I mean, Steve Nash in 135 games has only played 60 of them. He's only played 60 out of 135 games. Obviously, he had the situation with Kobe Bryant when he ruptured his Achilles. Obviously, you have that situation. That changed things. And Dwight Howard didn't work out. It didn't work out. It could have been his system. could have been his ailing back. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a good mix for the Lakers. Now, Obviously, the coaching and their decision to, to go with Mike D'Antoni when they had an opportunity to get Phil Jackson was a mistake. That obviously was a mistake. But at the end of the day, it just didn't work out for the Lakers. And even, even if Dwight Howard were to work out, the whole situation wouldn't have worked out because of the whole situation with Kobe Bryant. And, you know, him rupturing his Achilles. And then Steve Nash, well, his whole situation only playing 60 out of a possible 135 games. So the Lakers, even if Kobe doesn't rupture his Achilles, the whole situation really doesn't turn out that good because of what transpired with Kobe Bryant. The Lakers are really struggling right now. They're really struggling. And I look at the Lakers now. This is a team, depending on what they can do with free agency, and there's no guarantee that they'll be successful and maybe courting a LeBron James or maybe courting our Carmelo Anthony. There's no guarantee that they'll be successful in doing that. No guarantee that they'll be successful in that. And the reality is, with that being said, Lakers could be in transition for a period of time. Kobe Bryant, what does he have left? And I don't like to doubt Kobe Bryant, but what does he have left? What does Kobe Bryant have left? I think it's a legitimate question. What does he have left? reality is, Kobe Bryant may not play another game this season, and I'm not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, I think, if you're a Lakers fan. It's not a bad thing at all. He may not play another game this season. So a lot of things could go wrong for the Lakers moving forward. And we'll see what happens with the Los Angeles Lakers. When we come back, we're going to be joined now, when we come back, by tight end for the Arizona Cardinals, who knows a lot about basketball, knows a little bit about the game of basketball, is making that transition from basketball to the NFL. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Darren Fells of the Arizona Cardinals. You listen to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had... Some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but 
That doesn't see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, (laughs) too, man. (laughs) Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around, too. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And, again, we're going to bring in a guy now who's who's making a transition, played overseas, Darren Fells, he's making that transition from basketball to football. And, you know, over the years we've seen that transition have a lot of success. Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates, to name a few. Let's bring him in now. NFL tight end for the Arizona Cardinals, Darren Fells. Darren, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, Just uh, hanging in there right now, just trying to stay in shape and get myself ready for next year. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Now, Darren, when you decided to return to the gridiron because you played football in college, you shocked your whole family. You shocked even your brother, tight end Daniel Fells, for the New York Giants. What made you go back to football? No, I'm, I just had that, uh, you know, that urge of something missing in my life. Um, I've always been like a physical basketball style uh, player, and so when I was overseas. I was over there for about four years, but every now and then I had that thought uh, of going back. Um, and just one day I was just, you know what, I, I can't do this basketball thing anymore. Talking to my brother, he told me to give football a shot. Um, so I decided to start training for football, and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing about with you, you were highly recruited in football coming out of high school and many thought you would choose football on a collegiate level. Now, with your decision to return to football, do you kind of regret that decision of playing basketball instead of football on a collegiate level? Um, I, I wouldn't say regret. I mean, there's a little little things that I feel if I did decide, decide to go that football route, uh, my knowledge for the game and my skill could have developed a lot quicker. But at the okay. same time, um, by doing this basketball route, I've never really had an injury, um, and the things I'm doing on the football field, my coaches are telling me I'm doing real well. It's because of my basketball background. Okay, okay. And now, Darren, ultimately you signed with the Seahawks. You lasted until the final cut. Eventually they would let you go. You had tryouts with the Rams. You had tryouts with the Cardinals. But there was a point in time when no one signed you. Did you think at that point in time when you were in limbo that – you wouldn't get an opportunity again. Um, I mean, those those thoughts crossed my mind, but I'm um, talking to my agent, and he was telling me like this is a process a lot of players go through. Um, once you get cut, you're gonna have to have a lot of tryouts. And just my my background with the Seahawks, they said that I would have some shots with other teams and just go out there and give it a shot. Even after I have my trial with uh, both uh, St. Louis and Arizona, they both told me they like me and with uh, roster spots and everything, there wasn't a spot for me. 
Okay. So it was just more more of a waiting game than me not thinking that I'll, I'll be on the team. We're talking to Arizona Cardinals tight end Darren Fells. Now, originally for the Seahawks, you tried out as a defensive and ultimately you were transitioned to tight end. When you see guys like Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates, does that give you confidence that you can be successful in the NFL? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm, I've always had confidence in myself. Um, that's the one thing that I've always strive for is never to doubt myself. Um, but like you said, those are big shoes to fill, though. Um, I mean, I feel like I can give this team a little help uh, where they need it and develop, keep developing as a player and build myself uh, to hopefully. Um, I'm not trying to uh, set the bar too high, but hopefully to a pretty good player. Right, and ultimately it's about staying in the league, whether you're Jimmy yeah. Graham, Antonio Gates, or Darren Fells. It's all about staying in the National Football League. And your brother, Giants tight end Daniel Fells, he knows a lot about the NFL. How much have you leaned on him in terms of you getting acclimated with the NFL and playing NFL football? Oh, tons. Um, I've blown him up through this whole process, asking him questions, uh, on and off the field, uh, things I can do to uh, get better. Um, just, yeah, he he can vouch for that, that I've just been leaning on him a lot. Right. We're talking Arizona Cardinals tight end, Darren Fell, excuse me. What are some of the things you feel like you need to work on in terms of being, in terms of your success in the NFL? What, what do you need to work on so you can be successful in the National Football League? Um, talking to uh, Coach Aarons, he's told me the number one thing I really need to work on is uh, my blocking. And he said that's okay. the biggest thing, obviously, from basketball to football. Like I need a lot of uh, run blocking technique, to, uh, things to work on. Um, but he says naturally when it comes to route running, I have a eye for that. Um, okay. But mostly it's just recognizing defenses and my, my run blocking are two key things that he told me I need to work on. Now, how does the sport of basketball help you in terms of football? Um, well, one thing they told me that I, I uh, succeed on is um, avoiding. Like, for that, okay. for instance, if I'm coming off uh, the ball on a route, I do a good job avoiding defense, getting their hands on me, getting their hands off me, and uh, releasing onto the route. He told me that's one thing, and it definitely relates to basketball. If I'm posting up, coming off the screen, I'm – could have to avoid that defender to get around him to get to the right position, and that helps me a lot. And also uh, with routes, a lot of footwork helps. Um, even with the run blocking, just a lot of like everything is related, like shuffling, little little things like that relate. Okay. Now, now compare where you think you are at in terms of last year to this point in time. Where do you feel you're at in terms of your progress? Um. I want to say I'm 100 times better every single day. I'm trying to get 100 times better. Okay. I've just been working in the weight room, getting my legs stronger, getting my arms stronger, going on the field, working on my footwork. Um, haven't been able to get with a, a run blocking coach, an offensive line coach yet, but uh, I talked with my agent. He's going to work with me. Uh, come this March, I'm going to be with a coach to help me get my technique there. So I'm, I'm trying to be the minute OTAs come around, a completely different player. They're like giving them that idea that they made the right choice. We're talking Arizona Cardinals tight end Darren Fells. And Darren, let me ask you this. You, you spent time with the Seahawks in training camp 
And as we know, the Seahawks ultimately will win the Super Bowl. Do you look at that situation as, as, as a missed opportunity, or do you look at it as it is what it is? Um, I mean, every everything happens for a reason. It is what it is. Right. Um, they were a great team, great organization. I enjoyed every minute I was there. Um, but I feel here in Arizona, it, it's a great fit for me. Uh, okay. They they welcomed me with open arms. They've coached me up in every aspect. They've been telling me that I have a chance to play next year if I put in that work. So it's it's. It's a blessing that, as long as, as also uh, it was a, was a curse, not even a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> but it is definitely, definitely a blessing. Now, looking at the Seattle Seahawks, you spent time with them. Did you see a Super Bowl caliber team coming out of training camp? Uh, they, no doubt. They were definitely an uh, awesome team. As, as a team connection, they were doing really well. Players connected real well with each other. They Same thing, they brought me in right away, helped me out. Russell Wilson, great quarterback. He natural-born leader, natural-born right. leader. And then that defense definitely was a, a force to reckon with, <laughs> even at practice. For sure. <laughs> L- let me ask you this, Darren, now. You played overseas, and if you, let's just say, you were given the opportunity to play in the NFL, I mean the NBA, excuse me, would you have stuck with basketball? Um, that's a difficult question. Because uh, mm-hmm. uh, with the overseas and NBA, it's completely two different two right. different styles of play. Um, and being an American, I'm used to my our American style of play. So okay. I don't know if uh, being in the NBA would have changed my thoughts or not. Um, but overall, I, I don't think it would have because okay. I think the NBA is becoming more of a European style with all the flopping. And it, it's, I'm like I said, I'm a physical guy. I like physical play. And I feel okay. it, it's it's turning into a more finesse style of play. So do you, do you think you would have been a, a quote-unquote tweener in the NBA? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I guess I would be considered, yeah. Right. Now, as we said, you played overseas. You played in Belgium, Mexico, Finland, Argentina, France, to name a few. Do you have a favorite country? In different areas, favorite, yeah. Um, I enjoyed okay. the basketball aspect. I enjoyed uh, Mexico a lot. A lot of people were surprised with that answer. <laughs> um, but when it comes to traveling and the culture aspect, uh, Belgium was definitely one of my best uh, experiences. Now, hypothetically speaking, if this transition doesn't work out for you, would you go back to playing overseas basketball? Uh, no, probably not. Okay. And why is that? I don't know that that my mindset isn't for that anymore. Um, okay. I mean, every every year, I actually thought about going and leaving two years ago after my second year. Okay. It was just it. It wasn't just. It wasn't. I'm not saying. I love. I love basketball with all my heart. Right. It's not uh, the love of the game. It's just. Uh, I don't know the style or whatever. I don't know how to explain it very well, but it, it just wasn't there. That drive, I guess. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, your love for football, I guess, overcame all of it. Yeah. 
Now, Darren, I, I I was trying to search for you on Twitter, and I see you're not on Twitter. Are you going to get on Twitter? Uh, that, that's a difficult uh, question there too. <laughs> um, I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, okay. Which I might uh, I might leave that and go to Twitter. Uh, okay. Because I, I feel it might be easier that way, and also, I guess the for people to follow me and see what I'm up to will be better for me to go on Twitter. For sure, for sure. Darren, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Take care. Uh, you too. Darren Phelps, tight end for the Arizona Cardinals. He's making that transition from the NBA, excuse me, from basketball, I should say, to Football, and it's not always an easy transition, obviously, was a transition he's going to make. Nonetheless, I want to go back now to, to what I was saying about the Lakers. Um, this is a basketball team, and I said it could fall apart, and by golly, it has fallen apart. The Lakers right now, are they're in, they're in a state of transition. They really are. This is a bad basketball team at this point in time. This is a team's 18-35. and 18-35. Right now, and this is a team that's – I didn't think they would make the playoffs to begin with, but this is a team right now that that's struggling. And, and this is a team, as far as I'm concerned, Kobe Bryant, don't come back. Stay out. Get yourself right. you got two years. Let's try to get a championship. Maybe we can get Melo. Maybe we can get a LeBron, and, and maybe we can take this thing forward. But if I'm the Lakers right now, obviously – you look at the events that transpired in 2012. No one thought that this would happen. I didn't. I mean, I always thought it was possible, but at the end of the day, I didn't expect Steve Nash to only play 60 out of 135 games. It was possible. I didn't expect Dwight Howard to only last one year with the Lakers. Possible. I didn't expect Kobe Bryant to rupture his Achilles. Possible, but I didn't expect it. I mean, Kobe Bryant's been a pillar of health throughout the course of his career. Dwight Howard was looking for a big market, a big-time city in Los Angeles. He found it. So I thought he was possibly sticking around. And Steve Nash, you know, you could see it happening, but he's a guy that's been very effective throughout the course of his career and gotten it done throughout the course of his career. And also he was being reunited with Mike D'Antoni as being in that system. That would be a benefit to him, you would think. But at the end of the day, Lakers have fallen apart. And this is a team, again, that maybe they can change, uh, maybe, you know, with, with a few moves here, a few moves there, it can change for them, their fortunes can change. But at this point in time, the Lakers are a team in transition. And, and lucky for them, they picked a good year to be bad because they happened to have their draft pick this season. So lucky for them, luckily for them, luckily for them, they are able to keep their draft, they're able to to find a player in this draft because there are people players out here, and we know the names: Smart, Randall, Wiggins, Embiid, possibly. We know the names: Parker. We know the names. So I mean, the Lakers picked a good year to be bad. They picked a good year to be bad. We'll see. We'll see if the Lakers can rebound and Lakers can get back to those Lakers 
of yesteryear. I want to talk about Lenny Cook for a second. Um, we all remember Lenny Cook, the, the high school phenom from New York City. A lot of people thought uh, he was on par with LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, to name a few. And I was watching the documentary last night. I know it aired already on Showtime, but I watched it on demand. And I, I saw this story of a guy obviously seemingly had the talent but didn't have the mind, the brain, the, 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 the work ethic to be a LeBron James, to be a Melo, to be a Kobe Bryant for that matter. I mean, to make that transition from high school to the National Basketball Association and ultimately be successful in making that transition. I didn't – you didn't see a guy, as you watched the documentary, who had that mindset. He was a guy that, that was lazy, a guy who in a lot of ways got caught up in, in that stardom, got caught up in, in that whirlwind. I mean, he was a guy, man. I mean, a lot of people were talking about him. He was the next big thing. He was supposed to be better or just as good as LeBron James. He was supposed to be that guy. And it just fell, fell apart for him. Right now he's 30 years old. He's so much. I mean, he's, he's not even recognizable in terms of what he used to look like and what he looks like now. I mean, he's a big guy. Out of shape, obviously not in the type of shape that he once was in. But you hope, my hope is that this documentary is shown to, to high school programs around the country, to AAU programs around the country, to college programs around the country, because this is a cautionary tale of, you know what, to see, there's a lot of playground legends and a lot of guys who are out here who have the talent to go, quote-unquote, to the, have the talent to go to the NBA. They have the talent to go to the NBA. But what separates a lot of people is what's going on upstairs, that mind and that work ethic. And that all separates people. That separates people. That separates the NBA players from the playground, playground legends. You know what I mean, the high school legends. That's the separation. Because a lot of guys have talent, physically. But a lot of guys don't have that emotional talent, that, 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 that work ethic that is necessary to have success, that is necessary to get to the next level. A lot of guys don't have it. Lenny Cook didn't have it. He didn't have it. He didn't have the stability. He didn't have the father there to, to, to help him. He didn't have those things. And those things are important. You, those things are important. And Lenny Cook didn't have them. Didn't have them. And because he didn't have those things, Lenny Cook didn't have the success that many thought he would have. He didn't have the success that many thought he would have. And unfortunately for him, Lenny Cook now is a guy who is trying to get himself right. He's trying to find uh, something. I mean, he didn't get an education, really. He didn't get ultimately all the money that he made. He said he took, what, $350,000 from an agent at one point in time, but all the money that he was given... He went through it, he blew it, and now he's a man in transition, a a, a man trying to find his way. And hopefully 
with this documentary now, he can use that as a as a something that uh, he can use it as a uh, a jump off to other projects, speaking engagements, things of that nature. That ultimately he can be the guy who helps those who who are not working hard, help those who believe that they can make the NBA. Because here's the reality of the situation: what thirty teams in the NBA? Let me get let me let me get the math. Thirty teams in the NBA, fifteen players on the roster. So thirty times fifteen. Thirty times. 15, 450 players in the National Basketball Association. How many people in America? What, 250-plus million? You have to almost say the world. Billions of people in this world because the the NBA is a global game. So billions of people in this world, and there's only 450 jobs available, NBA jobs available to you. So, hey, when a person says, I want to be in the NBA, I never like to knock someone's dream. But also would tell you, prepare yourself if that doesn't happen, because the reality is billions of people in this world, and there's only 450 NBA jobs available for you. Billions, 450, think about the math, think about your percentages. And so those who get to this level have to be special, not only physically, but emotionally. Lenny Cook may have had the physical, but at the end of the day, he didn't have the emotional. And that emotional is what separates LeBron James from Lenny Cook, separates Melo from Lenny Cook, and it's a sad situation. Moving forward now, I want to go back to the NFL and Darren Sharper. What an amazing story. This is a guy now, former NFL star, played with the Vikings, played with the Packers, played with the Saints. This is a guy now who has been charged. I mean, he's right now he's facing two rape charges, and there's a possibility that there's seven different charges out there, not charges, but seven other incidents that may have transpired with Darren Sharper in terms of uh, drugging and ultimately raping women. I mean, this guy's been investigating in California, Vegas, Arizona, New Orleans for rape, drugging and raping women. Like, this is stunning. This is a former NFL player who seemingly wouldn't have any problems. I mean, he's looking at pictures, not a bad-looking guy. He's an NFL player. He's on the NFL network. Seemingly, he shouldn't and wouldn't have any problems finding women. But for whatever reason... And obviously, if he's convicted of these things, of these things, and at this point, these are all allegations. And at this point, this point, he has been charged. But at the end of the day, he is innocent till proven guilty. But if it's true, there's a lot of smoke around here. A lot of smoke. And usually, when there's smoke, there's fire. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he has been charged. But he's innocent till proven guilty. We'll see how this case shakes out. I want to thank Ron Haynes for stopping by. I also want to thank. Arizona Cardinals tight end Darren Fells for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pecan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter, at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user 
slash go for it camp. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day. See you later. Take care. Bye.